Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Well, happy Mother's Day. Can we just honor all our moms, give them a big, Mother Fierce, give them a big round of applause. We're so grateful for them and so blessed by them and so many ladies in our congregation. And like I said, it takes a village to raise all our kiddos, and we're just so grateful. Um, if you notice, um, Pastor Tim's not here, and uh, several of our, our people aren't here. We actually, I just want to remind you, as, as we can be forgetful, that we have a team over in the Philippines, and they are serving the Lord, and they are really just sacrificing and honoring God with their time and energy and efforts. And there's a picture of them behind me. And I, I had a chance to, to text with uh, Pastor Tim this morning and, and say hello to the team. And he told us that this pat, well, last night for us, but today for them, uh, while we sleep, it's their day. But they had an incredible opportunity to bless over 60 pastors uh, yesterday with a pastoral conference and really just pour into them as leaders and, and just see God use their gifts and their knowledge to multiply uh, leaders. And so they're just doing an amazing work over there. And so we, I just want to remind you to just continue to stay in prayer for them. Uh, we have Pastor Larry, as many, many of you know, he's flying back to be with uh, um, his wife's father who's struggling with some illness. And so be praying for Pastor Larry. But let's just continue to lift them up in prayer. Amen? Because prayer works and it's powerful and it's important, right? And, and that's, that's what we're kind of going to talk about today. You can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be starting verse 14, Acts chapter 1. But we're, gonna, we're, we're coming out of a series that uh, we just finished, a 10-week series, and we're going to jump into a little mini-series on prayer, on prayer. And I, I, I'm really excited for this. I, I'm going to start it this week, and then Pastor Rod, who's sitting right here, is going to finish it as this little two-week series. But what we want to focus on is just this, this thing that we say that we're going to do all the time, you know, we say, I'll pray for you, but we probably don't do as often as we should. And we don't understand how important it is. I know in my life, sometimes I forget how important it is. And as we pursue a Jesus-shaped life, uh, it's kind of integral to who we are. And so I'm going um, to kick it off today. We're going to talk through just the idea of being persistent in prayer. As something we often forget is that it's not just the first time we pray or the second time we pray. Sometimes it takes years. And there's so many accounts, historical accounts in the Bible of things taking 30, 40, 50 years as they pray over and over and over again. So today we're going to talk about persistent prayer. Pastor Rod next week is going to talk about the importance of that persistent prayer because we know that there's a battle being fought in the heavenly realms uh, for our souls and our hearts. And so I'm excited for that. We are going to read Acts chapter 1, read it. You're going to read it with me. This is, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. This is the end of the sermon. We're going to get to this at the very end, but I'm going to give you the end at the beginning. Okay, Miss Lynn? Okay? So, um, in fact, hey, let's stand, let's honor God's word, and let's read this together from the screen. I'm reading, I'm reading out of the ESV, so if you don't have that, I'm so sorry. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Heavenly Father, we, we just commit ourselves today to, to prayer. 
We commit to learn more about what it is and why you gave it to us and why it's so important, God. We confess, I confess my sin of not being more of a man of prayer, God, and I ask for a filling today through the testimony of your word and your son, Jesus. God, I ask that you would make me a man of prayer. God, I ask that you touch every heart in this room. I ask today that it would be all about you and that we would leave here changed because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So... What are we going to talk about today? Kind of a little two for one. I'm kind of excited because when you can tie in a holiday with what we're going to talk about, it's great. So we're going to, we're going to journey through Jesus' mom, through Mary's story. We're going to journey through Mary's story. It's, kind of, it's really an incredible story. And when we think of Mary, we often think of you know, Christmas and Christmas cards and Oh Silent Night and how wonderful it was. But we're going, to, we're going to see that maybe it wasn't so wonderful all the time. So we're going to go through nine passages Okay, and several Old Testament references. I am so excited for this. Is anyone else excited to jump through some scripture today? Okay, that is better than I thought that would be. Okay, that's like 50, 60% excited. The other 30, 40%, that's too bad. We're going to do it anyway. So we're going to journey through some of this. And, and what I want to combat today a little bit as we journey through is this idea that life's a Christmas card, right? What, what do we do at Christmas? We put the picture of the family smiling, and everyone's smiling, and everyone's happy, and you share the highlights of what happened if you write on the card, and some people write like six pages and tell everything that their son and daughter is doing. God bless you if you do that. I don't. Um, and, but really, behind that card sometimes, there's some challenges and some things, and I think that's part of Mary's story. So we want to combat the idea that life's easy, that following Jesus is easy, that being a mom is easy. Uh, you know... Um, just thinking about moms and, and being a mom or a motherly figure, and I think about what my wife has gone through and my mom have gone through in their lives just to be moms. Uh, and, and, you know, my wife labored with our firstborn for 28 hours. I think, you know, I've never, I didn't do it. I watched it, and it's pretty challenging, so go, go moms. You know, uh, my mom, uh, who is here today, by the way, for the first time in 11 years, we're together on Mother's Day, uh, it, you know, she sacrificed quite a bit uh, to be here, and so... Um, Love you both over there. Just because I have the mic, I get to honor my, my moms in my life. So love you both. Uh, but it's hard. Life, following Jesus, being a mom, saying yes to being a disciple, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and sometimes we have this idea that once we say yes to Jesus, life's going to be a Christmas card. If we just pray about it, it'll be fixed right away. And I think that, that idea can lead us into great disappointment. Great disappointment. And, and Mary's journey, when we think about it, we think of a warm, fuzzy Christmas card and this beautiful baby in a manger and how wonderful it was, but we don't realize all the things she went through over those 33 years of life. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This is the first of nine passages. We are going to move a little quickly. If I move too quickly for you and you want the notes, I, will, I could email them to you. But we're going to move quickly for the brevity's sake because I know there's some great lunch Mother's Day buffets that we've got to get to, okay? Some brunch buffets. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, this is the Christmas story, not at Christmas because it's important. And um, this is one of the most important yeses in the history of the world that you're about to read. So let's read it together. Verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel... And by the way, the angel Gabriel, when he shows up, it's a big deal. It's life-altering, world-altering news. That's who God sends. The angel Gabriel is sent from, from God to 
a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, what's important to know about Nazareth is, it is it's a no, nothing city. Nobody who meant anything came from Nazareth, all right? Nobody who meant anything. I don't know, pick a city in Idaho. I don't want to offend anyone, maybe like Marcine or Parma or, I'm sorry, I don't know who's from there. I know there's some. But um, it's, it's nothing. For California people, it's like Bakersfield or something like that, you know, Central California, just not northern, not southern. But it, it was nowhere. Verse 27, to a virgin, and if you're in here, and you, you should know what that is, and there's kids in here, so I won't explain, of, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, important to note that if you, back in, old, in biblical times, you, you didn't get to choose your spouse, they chose it for you, and when you were betrothed, it was, a, it was like you were already married, but you couldn't see each other, you couldn't be in a room together, you couldn't be alone, you maybe saw each other a few times before you get married. It was this long engagement process as you got ready to be married. And the only way to break betrothal was two ways. Death or death by stoning. Okay? So either you died naturally or you committed adultery or you committed a sin and they would actually have death by stoning. That was the two ways to break betrothal. It was kind of a big deal. So I want you to think about that in the context about what Mary's about to go through. It says, and the virgin's name was Mary, and keep in mind, she was about 12 or 13 years old, and he came to her, the angel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, in your Bible, underline, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She's got to be thinking, wait, I'm from Nazareth, I'm 12 years old, I don't know if the Lord's with me, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's confused. How am I favored? Why is an angel appearing in Nazareth? I'm 12 years old. I don't have a huge family lineage. I don't have this great family name. Why is this angel appearing to me? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now, if you ever want to be an angel, the first step of angel training school is to say, do not be afraid. Because contrary to popular belief, angels are not babies with wings. They are big, scary creatures. So if you want to be an angel when you grow up, you've got to practice saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. There's it. There it is again. Greetings, O favor one. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Mary, you're going to give birth to a king. Wow. From Nazareth? To me? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Christmas card, right? What we don't think about, though, is that how on earth was Mary going to explain this to Joseph? What was he going to tell him? Hey, betrothed. It wasn't fiance. Betrothed. If you're a fiance in here, you can call your, your wife or your fiance betrothed. Um, this angel showed up in the middle of the night last night in Nazareth and, and to my family and said, um, I'm going to get pregnant, but it's not going to be your baby, but you're not supposed to be mad at me. And oh, by the way, that baby of the Holy Spirit is going to be the king of Israel. Joseph's going to go, sure. Absolutely. How's she going to explain this to mom and dad? Right? How do you go to your mom and dad and go, hey, same story? What are, what are, I mean, even your mom and dad would not believe this. And here's why that's so important, because in this time, the implications of having a child out of wedlock were massive. It was massive. 
I just told you, how do you break, break betrothal? Death and death by stoning. If she would have gotten pregnant by someone other than Joseph, if she would have even gotten pregnant with Joseph, she could have been stoned. But outside of Joseph, we're talking for sure. Not only that, let's just say Joseph decides to have grace and doesn't ask for that, which he does in the biblical story. She would live under the life of gossip and scandal and persecution for the rest of her life. In biblical times, an illegitimate child was called a mamzer. Everyone say mamzer. Okay, you just cursed. That was a really bad word for illegitimate children in biblical times. That is what Jesus would have been called his entire life. The king and savior of the world was going to be born into scandal and gossip in a nothing, from a nothing 12-year-old from a nothing town. And this angel is here going, oh, favored one, can't you get so excited for this life that I'm about to give you? And we don't realize when we read this Christmas story that this, this answer that Mary's about to give was a big deal. It was costly. It was hard. Just like saying yes to Jesus is hard. Just like prayer is hard. So what does Mary say? Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She goes, this kind of doesn't make sense. And what's important though here is, is you got to notice Mary's faith. We read this in English and go, she's doubting. But the actual verb tense of how will this be in the original language is an assumption. It's a, it's, a, it's a very special verb tense. It assumes that what is being said is going to happen. Within an instance, without even batting an eye, Mary goes, how, how will this be? Okay, I believe you. How, how is this going to happen? And 35 says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age has conceived a son and this, and this is the sixth month in her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love that. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. This is her answer. Let it be. Let it be whatever comes of this, whatever challenges, whatever persecution, whatever names, whatever gossip, whatever scandal, whatever heartache comes of whatever you're asking me to do, God, I say yes. And Gabriel left. And as she says this yes, I think there's oftentimes in our lives where we are, we are given a directive by God or we hear from God, and in that moment, we do understand there's a cost. But in that moment, as the angel's in front of us, or we're on the mountaintop hearing from the Lord, we're in his presence in a, just a special way, we say yes. But then as life goes on and the next day comes and there's maybe some resistance or challenges, it gets harder to keep saying yes. It gets harder to keep moving forward. And I wanted to show you this through Mary. You see, Mary, she was, she was excited. She was excited early on. You look at, uh, you move on just to verse 39 um, in the rest of Luke chapter 1. If you look at verse 39, Mary kind of gives a, a little battle song. She goes to uh, visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and verse 39 says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judea. Now, a couple things. First of all, I wonder why she left her hometown and went to a different town. Hmm. Scandal, gossip, persecution, 
Maybe she went because it wasn't so fun for her in her hometown, and she wanted to go get some positive encouragement. So she goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the Baptist, and Elizabeth was in her 70s or 80s, most scholars think, which was pretty impossible to get pregnant then. So there's another miracle of God. So she wants to go see this for herself. She needs to see the Lord showing up in Elizabeth's life. And I, I just can't imagine their conversation. Oh, it happened to you too? How cool. And then I bet you, Elizabeth, I just picture, and I'm going to read into the white space a little bit this morning. Is that okay? I'm going to read into the white space of Scripture this morning. But I just imagine Elizabeth going, hey, Mary, you can do this. I'm six months in. I've lived a life of being barren and having that dishonor in, my, in biblical times. It was just horrible if that was happened. They thought something was wrong with you if you couldn't have children. And, and, and Elizabeth goes, Mary, you can do this. And I want you to know that, that sometimes you need that community to rally around you as you journey. Sometimes you need to go grab coffee with someone or grab lunch with someone so they can say, hey, you know what? You can do this. Zach, you can do this. Okay. That's the body of Christ rallying around us. So, so I, I just picture Elizabeth doing that for Mary, and I think it's so powerful that in verse 46, Mary burst out in song. She goes, man, this is so awesome, even though I'm going through all this stuff at home, and God's so good, I'm going to burst out in song. And she, she just gives this song of incredible meaning. And we read it, and we don't realize that literally over 10 times in the, in the song, Mary is declaring Old Testament scripture over the nation of Israel. This 12-year-old girl from nowhere literally comes out on this battle song of the new kingdom of God. And she goes, everything that is wrong with this nation, everything that is wrong with how the poor are treated, everything that is wrong with, with how the social hierarchy is, everything that is wrong with, with, with our nation is go over, God is going to show up now. And I'm not going to read it all for you for the sake of time, but if you go read it, it's just incredible. I mean, he, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in God, my Savior. He's made the lowly high. He's, he's made the lowly blessed. It's incredible. She sings this song. She's so fired up. She's ready to take on the world. It's literally an indictment of all the religious and social leaders of the day. She says, we're coming for you. But then Luke chapter 2 happens. So go to Luke chapter 2. Mary's pumped up. She's jacked up on Mountain Dew, as I like to say. Luke chapter 2, all right? You shouldn't laugh, because if you know that movie, that means you're, you're a sinner like me. But um, you guys can look it up later. Uh, this is where the cost begins. We realize here in Luke chapter 2 that Mary did not win the heavenly lotto. When angel, the angel Gabriel showed up, says this in verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why is she doing it in a manger? Because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, what does this mean? Why is this so important? In biblical times, the culture was this, that if a stranger that you had no idea who they were showed up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., knocked on your door and said, I've been traveling, I need somewhere to sleep. Your duty as an Israelite was to stop everything, wake your entire house up, not only give them a place to stay, but cook them a fresh meal. The reputation of your family, the reputation of your city, depended upon the hospitality you would show a stranger this was a high honor-shame culture. Hospitality 
was everything. In fact, Jesus gives a parable about the hospitality of, of uh, a man who had someone show up in the middle of the night later in Luke. So let me get this straight. Mary and Joseph have journeyed multiple days while she's pregnant. They show up not in a foreign town, in their hometown. And not only are they not staying with family, but no one else in the entire town had room for them. Hail, favored one. You will be blessed and highly favored is what angel Gabriel said. And Mary here, probably six or Oh, well, actually nine months, sorry, bad math. Nine months in, she's not favored. There's no room for her. That's the beginning. Luke chapter 2, verse 33, go there. Keeps getting worse. Mary and Joseph present Jesus at the temple, which is demanded by law. Uh, There's a man named Simeon, who's kind of a crazy old man. He was told by God that you will not die until you see the Savior of the world. You will meet him. That was the promise that God gave him. It says this in verse 33. And his father and his mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, now it's interesting he addresses Mary, very interesting because in biblical times you did not address the woman if the man was present. It would have almost been scandalous. You would address Joseph, but he addresses Mary. Remember, Simeon was spoken to by God for a very specific reason, I believe it is this, And it says this, behold, this is to Mary, behold, this child is appointed. Okay, we're starting good. Appointed, that's good. King, right? Listen. For the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that will be opposed. So Mary, guess what? Your son will bring the greatest controversy and the greatest debate in the history of the world. It will divide our nation. Oh, hell favored one, right? Here's where it gets really interesting, verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce through your soul. And by the way, the Greek for the sword there is not a small sword. It is a large, broad sword that will pierce through your soul. That is what God through Simeon says to Mary about two years into Mary's journey with Jesus. Can you imagine what she was thinking? Can you just imagine? Guess what happens right after this? Herod decides to kill all the the babies in, in Bethlehem. They have to run for their lives and flee to Egypt. And I just picture Mary as as these years are unfolding. I mean, remember, years don't go by fast. Sometimes we're in the challenges of life. They go very slow. Mary going, wait, the angel Gabriel said, hail favored one. What is going on, God? What is happening, God? And and, and jump jump with me to later in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Maybe it'll get better. This is... um, This is the first home alone in the history of the world. How many of you know that all great stories come from the Bible? All great movies come from the Bible. I love it. I love it. Um, By the way, Home Alone, watched it several times. Love my mom. But mom, you should never let me watch that movie. It's scary. (laughs) Goodness gracious, you're going to leave me in an airport or at home? And Man. So Jesus is 12 years old. 
Mary, Joseph, and the whole family have journeyed multiple days to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's great. It's a festival. They get ready to go home, and they travel a day. So they've gotten on a flight. They've probably gotten close to home, right? Think about this. You've gotten on a flight from where you were, and you get to your connecting flight, and guess what you forgot? Not just your kid, Terry, the Savior of the world. Yeah, yeah. You had one job. Mary, Joseph, don't kill him. Can you think about it? Oh, my goodness. Honey, we've lost the Savior. I mean, you had to be kind of semi-freaking out. And I don't, if, you, if you're a parent in here and you know that feeling, it's a scary feeling. I would never know that feeling, babe. I've never done that, okay? I've never lost sight of Kai or anything. But this is awesome because... In some ways, it's awesome because this is why you can believe the Bible, by the way. Side note, totally unrelated. But when they put embarrassing things in the Bible like this, you can know that it's historically accurate. Because no person, if they were trying to convince you that they were God, would forget the Savior of the world. So what happens? I love this. Verse, verse 46. After three days, not a couple minutes, not an hour, not a day, they lost him for three days. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, Greek word for astonished there is not a good astonished. It is a very not good astonished. And his mother said to him, and I just picture my mom's voice and her mom voice looking at me and saying it in that way that only moms can. Son, why have you? Treat us this way. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And how does Jesus, the the one who never sinned, never disrespected his parents, always said wonderful and great things, how does our 12-year-old Jesus respond? And keep in mind, as we're about to read this, these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospels. Let's check it out. He says this. Mom and dad, why were you looking for me? I've only been gone three days. That part's not in there. Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Duh. I was, supposed, I was going to be here the whole time. And just, I just, we, we can't put ourselves in Mary and Joseph's shoes, can we? I mean, just imagine what Mary's thinking. My son ran away for three days. We lost him for three days, and this is what he says to me. Don't know about you, but I would probably said some things back. <laughs> but Jesus in the most disrespectful and not disrespectful way because he's God and he's just saying it matter of fact, this is where I was going to be. But he, he uses the word, did you not know that I must be in my father's house and kind of an indictment on his dad and, and a little bit of his mom, like this is my home, not your home. And, and I just wonder as Mary goes through this at 12 years old, so she, she had great news when Jesus was declared to have come be born as she's pregnant. She has some challenging times when he's born in in Bethlehem. Uh, She has more challenging times when Simeon says, a sword will pierce your soul. And then at 12 years old, so 10-year gap from there, 2 to 12, she uh, loses Jesus and he kind of isn't nice in his Jesus way. Hail, favored one, and a sword shall pierce your soul. Luke chapter 4, verse 28, hoping it gets better. We're in the hometown of Jesus. We're in Nazareth. This is where Mary did her life. This is where she went to the grocery store. This is where she went to coffee. This is where she went to church. This is where she had her ladies group, her her knitting group. I don't know what she had. 
But Jesus is doing, it's, it's going well, kind of, because Jesus is invited to preach on Sunday. Mary, it's getting better. Your son gets to preach in church. And my mom loves when I preach in church. She's so proud. I can't imagine how Mary would be. And so she's excited in our hometown, at our home church. But what does Jesus do? Jesus gets up, reads from the book of Isaiah, claims to be God, and then tells his hometown that not only are they not going to be blessed, but the people that God's going to bless, that he's going to bless because he's God, are the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And he reads two more scriptures that literally tell the people of Israel, the Israelites, who would have all been present in the temple. He's basically saying, if it were us today that I got up here and told all those Christians that you're failures, God isn't going to bless you, and he's going to give your blessing to someone else. Did that go over well with you guys? So what do they do? Verse 28 of Luke chapter 4. Remember, this is the hometown of Mary. This is where they grew up for years When they heard these things, when the people of Nazareth heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town. Mary's probably there. They are so angry at Mary's son that they are driving him out of town to throw him off the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. This is what they did to false prophets. They stoned them. Either you took stones and threw them at someone, or you took someone and threw them at a stone. Now, my sermons aren't that great, and there's some that are really bad, but no one's ever tried to kill me after them, okay? They've not tried to kill me, but literally the Savior of the world, after he gives his first sermon, they try to kill him. But Jesus does his Jesus thing, verse 30, and says, but passing through their midst, the Jesus superpower thing, he went away. Cool, right? But who stays behind in their hometown? Jesus leaves Nazareth, but who has to stay? Mom and dad. Mary has to stay behind after this. Can you imagine Mary going to the supermarket the next week? Can you imagine her at Starbucks? And people just going, that's the one. That's Jesus' mom. Can you imagine Facebook and Instagram that Mary would have had to scroll through? Tough. Hail, favored one. Hail, favored one. Mary's got to be going, what the heck? Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Gets better. I told you we had a lot of passages, by the way. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. From, from the cross-reference of this passage in Mark chapter 3, we know that many people had started to believe that Jesus had a demon in him because he was saying some crazy things. So this, that's the context for this. Mary is coming to make sure that, his, that her son is not crazy, number one, and that he's not going to get himself killed for all the claims like he almost did in, in Luke chapter 4. This is what it says. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Hey, Jesus. Your mom and dad, your mom and your brothers are here. Now, interesting, it doesn't say mom, dad, and brothers. We have no idea where Joseph is at this point. Since Luke chapter 2, he has not been mentioned. We don't know if Mary was doing this whole thing alone. We, we, we can't know for sure. But she's here. She's here to see her son. She's traveled along the way. What does Jesus do? It says, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God 
and do it. So what did they go tell Mary? What did the disciples do? Um, He doesn't want to see you. He doesn't want to talk to you. Not only that, he just said that the honor and all, all, all those places that those that hear my word and do it are, are like my mom and my, my brothers. Can you just imagine what Mary was going through in an honor-shame culture where family was everything, your family name was everything, how you treated your parents was everything, and they travel, travel a great long way, and she asked to see her son so that she can protect him. And he says, I don't want to see you. Hail, favored one. A sword will pierce your soul. I just wonder what Mary's thinking and going back to when the angel Gabriel appeared. Should I have even said yes to this thing? And, and, and I, just, I just think through when we say yes to Jesus, how challenging it is to keep saying yes sometimes when, when, when hardship comes. We don't hear a lot from Mary after this, from Luke. We don't actually hear from her at all for the rest of the book of Luke. And, and we don't hear from her until the cross. Could have been months, could have been years. We don't know exactly. We think it's probably about a, a year and a half or two after this. But Jesus has been arrested, tortured, beaten, publicly humiliated by the Romans and the religious leaders, and he is hanging on a cross. And again, I just, Mary must be saying, Lord, what is happening? You told me to do this. You invited me to do this. You brought an angel in a dream. How is this favored? How is this good? And, and look what it, go to John chapter 19. We're going to jump from Luke to John. John chapter 19, verse 25. It says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And a short few verses later, he would look at his mother and say to the apostle John, John, this is your mother now. Again, just put yourself in Mary's shoes. I know it's so hard. How could we put ourselves in her shoes? But put yourself in Mary's shoes. And right after he says this, he cries out, and then the Roman soldiers take a spear, a sword, and what do they do? They pierce him. And a sword shall pierce your own soul. I I, I know as a father that if someone were to hurt my child in any way, it would hurt me just the same. Can you imagine if Mary was recalling the words of Simeon as they take a, a spear and pierce Jesus, that it was also simultaneously piercing and running through, as Luke chapter 2 says, her own soul. Hail, favored one. Pretend you don't know how the story ends. Pretend we didn't just celebrate Easter. Pretend you don't know what happens in three days from then. Pretend. Just, just remove what you know and just think, what was Mary feeling? The entire nation of Israel has literally condemned her son and killed her son. They might come after her next. She's pretty scared. She's confused. I can't imagine the conversation she's having with God. 
God, where are you? What, what is this? Why is this happening, God? Why, why, why did you do this to me? Why did, you, why did you have me have this child, God? He's not, it doesn't seem like he's the king, that he's going to be the king of Israel and that we're going to rule. It doesn't seem that way, God. Can you imagine the real prayers that Mary was having with God? Maybe she couldn't even utter words. You ever been there when you're going through something and you can't even pray? She's just sitting there. You think back to how Mary thought this was going to turn out in sixth grade when she was 12 years old. That when she said yes, she was going to reign with her son over all of Israel because she was going to sit on the throne of David. But then at 40 plus years old, she's looking at him dead on a cross going, whew, don't know if I should have said yes to that one. You see, it's easy when the angels appearing before you, you're hearing from God and it's so good and, she, and you say yes Yes, Lord, I will do this for you. I'm hearing directly from you. This is so good. But then you see, we have to remember, as Pastor Rod's going to talk about next week, there is another force in this world that does not want you to live in the calling that God has placed on your life. It wants to discourage you and defeat you. And it uses every tactic and possible scheme that it can think of, and it's good, it's effective, it's smart, and his name is the devil. Just wonder what the devil is whispering in Mary's ear. God doesn't favor you. In fact, you made that all up. God, did, God didn't commission you. God didn't want to use you. You never saw that angel. God doesn't love you. God's left you. I don't know about you, but sometimes the hard reality of life, I can feel that way. When I say yes to something that God wants me to do, I can feel that way. And what I, what I want us to hear today, what I need to hear today is that when we feel that way, we have to do something about it. We need community and we need prayer. And we, we often think we have to be really, really faithful and filled with faith to pray. But sometimes the best prayer is, God, what are you doing? I need help. If you go back through the Psalms and through the Old Testament, even if you look at Jesus' prayers to God, there's so many times when the mightiest of Faithful people, King David, Moses, Isaiah, Jesus himself are going, God, can you please change these circumstances and do this any other way? God, where are you right now? You don't feel like you're here. You don't feel like you promised me something good. Hear this this morning. Prayer sometimes needs to be a brutally honest, an unashamedly desperate conversation with God. Let me say that again. You take one thing away this morning, this is what I want you to take. Prayer sometimes need to be a brutally honest and unashamedly desperate conversation with God. We see this when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see this over and over again in the lives of David and so many of the Old Testament heroes, that there's this unashamed desperation, this brutally honest conversation we see in the book of Job. Just so many times, people having raw, real conversations with the creator of the universe. 
And I think that doesn't sit well with us because we think that if we actually go, God, why are you doing this? That we're somehow lacking faith. That we're a failure in our faith. That we can't ask that question. But what I want you to know is that some of the greatest heroes of our faith and Jesus himself goes, hey, God, could you do this a different way? Could you change these circumstances? Could you show up and make me feel that you're here? And, and what we need to realize is that it is safe to ask a question of God and say, Lord, can you, can you help me with this? Help me understand this, God. It is safe to even, and I'll use a, the big D word, doubt. It is safe to doubt as you struggle through your life and you struggle in faith. And this wars against the prosperity gospel, the the idea that when you say yes to Jesus, it's going to be easy. When you say yes to following Christ, you're going to just be blessed. You're going to have safety, security, financial blessing. Your life's going to be full of fun and joy. I hate to break it to you, but John 16, 33, Jesus was very clear. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. I promise you, they persecuted me. They will persecute you. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Translation, hey, followers of Jesus, God's going to take your life and go so many different ways that you could never imagine, and there's going to be peaks and valleys, there's going to be high times and low times. You are not going to understand it most of the time. You're going to be on a roller coaster like no other, but I promise you this, one thing, God has overcome the world. You're going to be okay. He says, hey, Mary, one day, you're going to look back, and you're going to see that maybe this was all worth it. Hey, Christian, hey, Christ follower, hey, hey, Christian in Boise, Idaho, or you're going to look back one day as you walk through some challenging things and realize this was all worth it, that God never left you, that he was with you. And so, as we war against that prosperity view, and we think about the cost saying yes to Jesus, I I want us to understand three things. Number one, our yes, your yes to whatever Jesus is asking you to do will cost you everything. Not something, not a few things. If it's really what God wants you to do, it's going to cost you everything. It costs Mary everything. Number two, God isn't scared or shocked by your doubts or my doubts and your struggles. He's not put off by them. He's not upset at them. He's not angry with them. He's bigger than them. And the last thing is, we need to be persistent in prayer because it's worth it. It's worth it. I don't, I don't know how many times Mary prayed and, and asked God and, and, and asked for someone to show up. I don't know how many times other people prayed for Mary, including Jesus himself, praying for his mom. I don't know, but I know that there must have been some persistent prayers. You see, when Jesus and God the Father ask a 12-year-old girl to give up her entire life and live a life of scandal, I know that there were people praying for her. When he said, give up everything and follow me, the only way she could have done it was through a life of prayer and people praying for her. And here this morning, I don't know what God's asking you to do or what he's asking you to say yes to. But I want you to know that this body of Christ is committed to praying for you and with you. How does this turn out? What happens to Mary? Does she give up? 
Acts chapter 1. This is where it's kind of cool. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's now left. They're still in persecution. People are still trying to kill Christians. They're trying to fight against the Jesus movement. They're, the, the disciples and about 120 people are up in a room praying, asking God to save them and show up. They have no idea what's going to happen. So there's 120 followers of Jesus at this point in the world. Guess who one of the 120 was? This is so cool. It says, all of these, the 120, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. I love what Dr. Luke does. He specifically says, and with those women was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Apparently, Mary looked back and said, oh, that's what this was all about. Through all the pain, all the struggles, Mary looks back and goes, I see what you're doing, God. Shortly after this, the Holy Spirit is given to all the believers and 3,000 people get saved and the birth of the church happens. And just so you know, the costly yes that Mary gave and the 30-plus years of struggle and pain and heartache that didn't end there in Acts, by the way. That's the last time we hear about Mary. It finished for the rest of her life. She, she was, would live under persecution still for the rest of her life. But all those things that Mary had to keep saying, she had to keep saying yes and keep saying yes and keep fighting through struggle and doubt and heartache. And guess what? 2,000 years later... In Boise, Idaho, on Mother's Day, there's a few people in a church that are gathering in her son's name to declare that he's the king. Do you know that? Could you imagine if, we could, if, if Mary could have known that when she said yes at 12 years old? Mary, I'm doing something that you don't even understand. You could never imagine. It's so much greater than you could ever picture it. And 2,000 years later, they're going to still talk about you and your son. Hang on. Hang on. And I, I don't know where you find yourself today. Whether you're on the mountaintop or you're struggling. I don't know what you've said yes to. I don't know even, sometimes when I say yes, I don't even understand what that yes means. I don't know if you understand what you've said yes to. But much like Mary, your yes will challenge you in ways that you have no idea. It will bring you to places of desperation and great need. But I promise you this as well. God will show up and he will use it beyond what you could ever think or imagine. Would 12-year-old Mary have said yes if she knew the 30, 40, 50, whatever, how many years she lived after that? plus years of pain and heartache she would go through? I don't know. Maybe that's why God doesn't tell us all the pain and heartache we're going to go through when we say yes sometimes. But in that upper room where the Jesus movement started, if you had said, Mary, will you say yes again? Do it all over again? I bet you she would have said yes. Because no matter what you're saying yes to, friends, it's worth it. 
It's worth it for what's God, what God's going to use it for and do, but here's why it's even more worth it. It's worth it because of what God's going to do in your heart when you say yes. He's asking you to submit and trust him. So, happy Mother's Day. I don't know if that was a Mother's Day message that you wanted. <laughs> I try not to cry every time I'm up here. I hope that's encouraging to you, although it could have not been. <laughs> but I just want to be truthful. Being a mother's hard. Not being a mother's hard. Being a grandma's hard. Being a Christ follower's hard. And we just want to unite as a community and commit to saying yes to Jesus and commit to being persistent prayers who help others keep saying yes. We have to fight for that. We have to help people keep saying yes to following Jesus. It's a daily battle. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. So I hope there's hope for you as you think about the challenges you face and the struggles you're going through. That one day, I promise, not, not I promise, Jesus promised that you will look back and you will go pretty cool, God. I see what you were doing. You're a smart one. Let me pray for us. God, Lord, it's sometimes so hard to take up our cross daily and follow you. It's so hard to keep praying for the same thing over and over again. God, it's so hard to, to keep fighting the battle, the journey of faith. But Lord, we know that we can, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We thank you that you have overcome everything we could possibly face or imagine, God. We thank you that you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords. And every day, one knee, every knee will bow before you, God, and you will be King. God, we thank you that you will wipe away every single one of our tears. But God, right now, there's some of us in here who need you to show up just a little bit today in a special way. We need a little impartation, a little gift of faith, God. We need, we need to be surrounded by love and, and, by, and by your presence, God. So I just pray you grant that to us today. Lord, we desperately want to keep saying yes to following you. But we know we can only do it by the power of your spirit and the strength of your church. So God, gift that to us. We commit to that. We love you. We celebrate your goodness. Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.